Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them again, would you, to Genesis chapter 1, as we continue on our verse-by-verse study, just taking our time through the book of Genesis. Today, our Bible study is entitled, Putting Humanistic Evolution to the Test. And as we're studying through Genesis, we, want, we don't want to forget and get lost in, in all the complexities that surround the study of Genesis. We don't want to get lost in them uh, and not understanding that we're reading of God's divine revelation of our origins and where everything began that he is the creator and we owe our life to him. But we do understand in our culture that Genesis intersects with alternative theories, with a theology of humanism, uh, where God has been replaced by making everything focused upon man and the goodness of man and everything is okay with man and there's no need for God. And so humanistic scientists will come and attack the very first verse of Genesis. We learned last time, even in verse 1, it's so filled with meaning where it tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This was given to us, all of chapter 1, really all of the Bible, but in particular the origins was given to us by revelation. The reason we know that is because you weren't there, Moses wasn't there, but God was there. And God would know exactly what happened. And as he reveals it to Moses for us, he puts the central focus of the Bible not on man, but on God. That's a great way to live your life. The central focus of your life is your accountability to your creator. Not you, but him. And so humanistic scientists will come and attack this. They have to in order to dismiss the rest of the Bible. And, you know, the popular theory of today uh, goes by a lot of different names. The big, they, they look to the Big Bang, they look to Darwinianism and humanistic evolution, on and on the list goes. But there's really no evidence for an ex- to support an explosion causing order. I mean, even common sense would look at something that, that an explosion causes more chaos, not more order. But the truth is, science knows nothing of origins. Science knows nothing of origins because true science can only test how things work but cannot determine how things began. And so we learned last time Moses, the author of Genesis, received the book of Genesis not by reasoning but through divine revelation. And what a powerful verse in the beginning. In the beginning, God. It just says what it says. In the beginning, God. And all of us are put to the test of whether we'll believe this in our lives or not. He himself, you could say, in the beginning, he himself created the heavens and the earth. And we learned that this one verse refutes the atheist and the agnostic and the polytheist and the pantheist, the materialist, the fatalist. All these theories that are popular today, one verse wipes them out and brings them to a place of having to subject their belief system to the simplicity of the true narrative of creation. 
Now Moses, we know, didn't write Genesis according to the theories of the day. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7 that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. You could say the equivalent today would that he would have multiple PhDs. He would be a highly intelligent man of the knowledge of the day. He was given a free education through the Egyptian education system. He was familiar with the Egyptian creation myth. He was familiar with what the Babylonians believed, what the Greeks would later believe, the Hindus. Moses, inspired by God, just says it the way it's revealed. In the beginning, God. God is the originator of all things. Now here's the thing, and you could be in this very same place. Knowing that this Bible study leaves the room and goes out on the radio, online, listening in at various times, many just can't get past verse 1 of Genesis. They just can't move on from it. This is the place of mockery and ridicule because this one verse really sets the stage for the rest of the Bible and the rest of your life. If you and I, by faith, can accept, both by faith and by evidence that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then the rest of the Bible, the rest of the challenging places of the Bible, the, the miraculous, the, the overarching, you know, you think of, you know, we spend at least an hour a day on the radio station answering difficult Bible questions, and you think of all the Bible questions that are out there, and all the wrestlings with the text, and all the combination, and all of the things that, that is available to us in wrestling and looking for answers. You see, if you don't believe Genesis 1-1, all of those questions and answers mean absolutely nothing. Because at the end of the day, there are a lot of things that God has reserved for himself. That the ways of God, they're not our ways. The thoughts of God, they're not our thoughts. There are many questions in life, especially related to pain and suffering. There are a lot of questions in life, in our lives, just living out lives. You know, theologically related to, well, how does life intersect between the sovereignty and the power of God and the free will of man? And there's just so many things that, that are left unanswered. They require faith. God doesn't give it, spell out every single answer for you and for me. Because then faith would no longer be necessary. We would live on knowledge. But again, what does the Bible say about knowledge? Knowledge puffs up. And it's love that edifies. And faith keeps us tethered to the God who himself is love. A relationship of faith keeps us tethered to the very source of love in our lives. So that we follow through what the Bible says is we keep ourselves in the love of God. And so much is unanswered. So many things yet to be understood, things that we'll know even as we're known in the presence of Jesus. But those that are true skeptics and critics, this is the verse they're going to hang on because if they can undermine Genesis 1-1, then the rest of the Bible is not going to make sense. And you can just kind of pick and choose what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. And a person that trips up on verse 1 of chapter 1 can go no farther in the Bible. It's impossible. They've dismissed the God of the Bible so that now they can dismiss the Bible that was written by God. Everything in the scriptures flows from and through and to this simple truth. And Genesis 1-1 answers the world's question of how everything came to be. 
It's so important we've learned that it's quoted 160 plus times in the New Testament and mentioned many other times, raising it to far more than 200 times. So today I just want to look briefly at some of the elements of evolutionary theory and match it to the scriptures, or at least match what the Bible would speak to as it relates to the Big Bang. Now let me just say at the outset, as we continue through these heady types of early verses, I am not a scientist. Uh, my mind doesn't work that way. So this isn't going to be the kind of in-depth Bible study that those of you that might look in, man, I really want to, there's so many more people that go much deeper than I do on much thicker books and volumes and things that, like for example, if you just want some simple but super heady stuff, just go to answersingenesis.org. Um, it will keep you busy until the Lord returns. Um, they're always posting new things, very intelligent men and women that, that tackle these things and, and answers in Genesis uh, would be considered young earth creationists. I believe it, really what they'd be considered is Bible literalists is what we are here as well at Calvary, young earth. Uh, you may hold to a different view, but that's between you and the Lord. We just, man, we, we're going to come back to, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, but I'll explain uh, as we go through in, in our Bible studies why uh, I fall to a biblical interpretation of a younger earth. But we definitely dismiss, reject, and refute evolutionary, humanistic evolution. That, that's in no way uh, do we believe in that here. And the belief of humanistic, humanism in general, humanistic evolution has become a religion unto itself. I mean, if you look at some of the data between Darwinism, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in the Bible. Because it just simply doesn't make any sense, and there's nothing to back it up. So there are many problems with the theory, but the root of this particular theory is that it has an absence of creator. And maybe that's the issue in your life. Maybe the root of your issue in life, maybe the root of the problem in your life, maybe you've arrived where you are right now, broken, uh, you know, humbled by circumstances, struggling, wrestling. Perhaps it's just as simple as this. You have eliminated the creator from your life. As simple as that. It's not because you don't know the Bible. It's not because you don't go to church. It's not because you don't pray. It's not because you don't have a Christian name and Christian language. Perhaps the essence is, is in your life, you have eliminated the creator. And you live life like Romans chapter 1. You've created a God in your own image. And it's always, that always starts out well. You know, it always starts out well. Sin is always pleasurable for a season. That starts out well. It just doesn't end well. The, the joy, the happiness, the fun of sin doesn't end well. When you sow to the flesh, you will always reap corruption. And maybe you just need to ask yourself, as you're listening to this Bible study, you just have to ask yourself, is the religion of your life humanism? Is it self-centeredness? Is it because you follow what you want and what you do and what you've created? Because without a creator, then there is no dictate for life. The creator knows what's best for his creation. Now think about the Big Bang for a minute and chance, things coming together by chance. And let's ask the question, did everything in creation really come by chance or was there design in creation? Just a few things. For example, the sun. The sun, was it created? Was it designed or did it occur by chance? 
Well, the sun is 93 million miles from the earth, about 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If it was any closer, we would all be fried. And if it was any farther, we would all be frozen. Chance or design? Consider the earth. 365 and a third revolutions around the sun each year. Why not just 30 times? Why not just 300 times? Again, it would disrupt the ecosystem and cause man to either burn or freeze. How about the air that we breathe by chance or design? 79 to 20% oxygen to nitrogen gas mixed with a 1% variant provides the perfect atmosphere to breathe. Why not 50-50? Well, that would lead to combustion and it would be a disaster. Now, let me clarify, even as we go forward here, that it's important when I'm using the word science and scientist. Science is a wonderful discipline, and many of you live in this world. It's a wonderful discipline and field of study. And there are many who work in this field, and many wonderful insights have been discovered through this area of study. We need more believers in the realm of science today in our world. We need more and more of you that are gifted in this thinking to get involved in culture with the way that God made you and to be involved from a godly worldview in a very, you know, insert into a very humanistic worldview. Yet there are those that are in the scientific community who openly and blatantly oppose the word of God and all that is spiritual. And it's this humanistic scientific community that the Bible opposes. You know, you kind of put the focus on those that are attacking the Bible, but the reality is, is the Bible attacks these false and opposes these false theories. And I wonder, again, as you're navigating through in the science of stuff, you know, the Bible opposes your resistance to God too. The Bible opposes your pathway of sin and compromise too. We often talk about how you oppose through your decisions and you read and you know and you do. But you know, the reality is, is that the Bible is the standard. You're not the standard. I'm not the standard. The church isn't the standard. Some pastor or priest or pope is not the standard. God in his word is the standard. And we, we live a life that's either in cooperation with God or in opposition to God. So, you know, with the Bible, it's not a scientific book doesn't claim to be. However, when it speaks on the topic, it's 100% accurate and infallible. No true science has ever contradicted the Bible ever. So consider a few of the scientific disciplines over the years and how the Bible speaks truthfully on these topics. For example, geophysics. With geophysics, this is the study of the phys physics properties of the earth. It's only a few hundred years since, it's only been, this is interesting because it's only been a few hundred years since the whole scientific community believed that the earth was flat. Well, guess what came back besides clothes from the 80s? The theory that the earth is flat. And with social media, it has gotten quite the bit of, of traction, if you will. But this scientific belief, no, no doubt, and even some would scoff at what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. For many, many years, scientists have proposed that some mysterious physical property, some special force or gas is holding up the earth. But the Bible says in Job 26, verse 7, that he stretches out the north over empty space and God hangs the earth on nothing. 
Theories are offered, but the Bible opposes them. It's not the other way around. Theories aren't opposing the Bible. The Bible is the standard. Consider hydrology, number two. The study of the water cycle upon the earth. For years, men did not understand the process of the delicate but balanced water system. But you know, in a hundred, or excuse me, in a thousand BC, when Ecclesiastes was written, listen to what it says in verse one, verse, uh, chapter one, verse six. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. How about thirdly, oceanography? Matthew Murray, the father of oceanography, credits the Bible with encouraging him in finding and documenting the currents of the ocean. Psalm 8, verse 8. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. How about biology? It was in 1616 that a great, quote, discovery, unquote, was made. William Harvey determined that life was sustained in the bloodstream. 1616, just a few hundred years ago. He declared that life is in the blood. Does that sound familiar? 3,000 years earlier, Moses, writing on behalf of God, said in Leviticus 17, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it upon the... Uh, the altar to make atonement for your soul. So it's not just physical life, but it's also spiritual life. How about astronomy? The counting and numbering of the stars has captivated men and women throughout the centuries. Throughout the years, Ptolemy, he was able and wrote down that he counted about over 700 stars. Another man cataloged a thousand. Kepler later counted a thousand and five. And just by observation, they say, I'm, obviously I don't know this for a fact, but they say that if you went to every point of the earth and you just counted with the naked eye and you could keep track of it, how, I don't know, but you could keep track of it, you'd probably come up with 4,000. You'd say, yeah, there's 4,000 stars out there. Yet the Bible declared thousands of years ago in Jeremiah 33:22, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered nor the sand of the sea measured. And I'll multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who ministered to me. So think for a moment living in that day. Think for a moment without a telescope, without technology that's available to us today, as you read that passage in the Bible that the stars are innumerable and you don't have the kind of knowledge. You're just sitting there with your own knowledge, your own mind, your own abilities, and you read a passage like this in the scripture, you could easily scoff at it. Say, I, that can't be innumerable. I can count them all. They end there. They start there. And, you know, I'm sure if you could set up a system, you could count the sands of the sea. You know, a lot of times that's our, our humanistic reasoning just in our lives. We'll come to the scriptures and we will refuse to believe the Bible. It's as if we're smarter than God. We'll refuse to believe. Yeah, I think of one that's very popular. Perhaps you, you haven't thought of it, but some of you are plagued by it. Many of you will come to the scriptures and you'll read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And because of the weight of sin and the weight of condemnation and the weight of shame in your life, you refuse to believe 1 John 1, 9. It's right there in black and white. It's right there. Even in, a, in some of you, you have experience of, exp of having 
received and enjoy the forgiveness of your sins, but here you are in life, you're overwhelmed by guilt, you're overwhelmed by regret, you're under the weight of emotion, and you, you come to the scriptures, but you have come to the scripture with your own experience, you come to the scripture with your own understanding, and you walk away worse than when you came. This is like looking up, oh look, there's no way that could be innumerable, I can count the stars, and, and then there's no way that God could forgive me because, man, you don't understand what I've done, the places I've been, the things I've said, the thoughts I've thunk. You don't know where I've been, Ed, pastor, Bible teacher, Christian. The Bible sounds all good for you, but, but I'm a little bit farther along than you. I'm a little bit worse than you. I, I've done more. I think of those listening behind a jail cell tonight paying the price, the consequences for their crime in our culture. And just sitting there wondering, man, am I ever going to amount to anything? Through real repentance and the forgiveness of sin, you can amount to much. God has used many people with great failures. He's restored and rebuilt, given back even years that were wasted. I think of the one listening that is even a little drunk right now or high. And just thinking, there's no way out. There's no way I can be out from under addiction, out from under difficulty. There's just no way. How could God love me? And, and yet, if you confess your sins, I recently had an email from a brother. Perhaps you're even listening right now, brother. And I answered that email yesterday. And just over and over and over again, this would be the illustration. Uh, with the same phone he would be watching service on is the same phone that he's watching pornography on. And he's plagued by it. He's condemned by it, even convicted by the Holy Spirit. And he writes, in response, he writes me a long email. I respond to the email. Yes, the Lord can forgive. And he writes an email, responds. He goes, do you think God would, what do I need to do? And I literally sent him 1 John 1, 9. This is what you do. You confess your sins. You repent of your sins. You move forward and walk by faith. Yeah, you might have years and years of alcohol, years and years of crime, years and years of lying and gossip, and years and years of pornography and, and dishonesty. Yeah, you have all of that, and it can stop right here through repentance, through a brokenness before God. So we're kind of talking scientifically, you know, in the astrology and astronomy or astronomy and looking at the stars and not really believing the Bible, but you know, a lot of life isn't anything like that. Life is about your walk with the Lord. It's about your personal relationship with Christ. You're trusting God at his word. You, you look as we get back, you know, we get through the creation. It's going to be fascinating. We start getting into the lives that God's using and, and seeing his faithfulness into people's lives, his faithfulness in steps of faith, his faithfulness in failure, his faithfulness in some of the most, you know, again, we all come, you know, the great myth is that um, you're the only one that grew up in a dysfunctional family. That's the great myth. Well, let me let you in on a secret. We all grew up in the same dysfunctional family. Uh, sin has made every family dysfunctional. Unless we, you know, laugh it off, I, do, I don't want to dismiss the pain of your personal dysfunctional family. And some of them are really bad, really painful. But, you know, we all have imperfect families. All of us do. But, but, but you're going to learn of some just, some really, really, right here in Genesis, really dysfunctional families. I mean, super bad. 
and God's faithfulness through it all, where his testimony, it will outlast even the worst of situations where God will be made faithful. You have to learn, even like those that maybe thousands of years ago had no telescope, had no way to understand. I mean, some of the technology we have today is unbelievable. What they continue to find continues. It's unbelievable. But even, even so, like them then, today, even in our lives here in the 21st century, we need to learn to look beyond what the eye can see. What's in front of you. I wonder how many of the trials are among us today that as you've seen it with your eye and got out your calculator and tried to figure it out and, and you have looked at your history of your life and how, I wonder how many of you have just are, are so overwhelmed, so fearful, so filled with anxiety simply because you're not willing to see with the eyes of faith beyond the human ability, beyond your ability. It does require sometimes to pause, doesn't it? And look back on the faithfulness of God, the testimony that you have. Sure, we're, we're pressing onward. You're right. We're moving forward. We're that upward call of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul would teach us. But we do have the rearview mirror, and it's important to remember the faithfulness of God, where we came from. Remember our testimony that's unique to us. Remember how God showed up in the midst of difficulty, when it comes to astronomy, sure, they were limited in their abilities, but from some of the things that they have found today, you know, they go from counting 4,000 stars that some estimate that there are 10 to the 26th power, and that number increases all the time, which basically just means infinite, an infinite amount, which is what the Bible already said. And you know, when God gets you through this situation, he gets you through this family crisis, he gets you through this lapse of faith, he gets you through this struggle with the flesh, this bondage of sin, when he gets you through the challenge that you've been living out for X amount of years, when he gets you through, you're gonna come back and go, you know what, the God was true, he already promised he was gonna take care of me, he already promised he was gonna provide for me, he already promised he's gonna free me. And then of course, when we make it into heaven, you know, that I know we joke about it, that we're gonna be surprised, but I don't think you're gonna be surprised, I think you're gonna be satisfied your faith is going to become sight in a millisecond. You know, if we get to be a part of the rapture, we're, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord uh, of the time that it takes for light to bounce off your eye. <laughs> the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> Just like, boom, see, faster than a, than a snap of the finger. Faith will become sight. You know, one more thing on astronomy as we head out and let's turn into 1 Corinthians 15. We haven't turned at all. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 15 as we wind down here. It's just such an encouraging thing that, you know, if you want to follow through with all the different fanciful theories and dismiss what the Bible has to say, you do so at your own peril. You want to stumble over and scoff and mock at Genesis 1-1, you do so at your own peril. A brother texts you a scripture you refuse to believe that you're going to do so at your own peril. A sister has reached out to encourage you and give you the word and you refuse to receive it. You do so at your own peril. And I'm grateful for the grace of God. I'm grateful for the patience of God. But I'm not grateful for living out the consequences of my bad decisions. And it's a painful process to be chastened by the Lord. To be disciplined by him. Consider this. This is so good. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice with me in verse 41. 
The Bible says there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. We read that and we go, like, so, we read and go, well, so what? All right, just one of those obscure passages. There's distinctions, you know, there's, there's a glory of the sun, there's a it's difference, it's a difference in the moon and the sun, and it was like, who cares? It must have been a mistake because before telescopes, with the naked eye, everything seemed to be very similar. Not necessarily a tremendous amount of distinction and change except for what we could see in size. But with new technology, we can see the Bible is true. We, we can see this one little verse be very true. But let's just say, let's just say, you come to this passage and you dismiss 1 Corinthians 15 verse 41. You just say, oh, no, I don't believe it. Even with all technology and I, I just don't believe it, I, I don't think it's true, then you have to understand the domino effect of not accepting even just this one. Let's just say at the end of this, you go, I don't believe it. You know, I think telescopes are fake. I think it's all fake from NASA. I think they did it on YouTube and a sound stage, and it's just all not real. And it's uh, just, you know, you're one of those guys or one of those gals. Maybe not you, but someone out there. If you dismiss that, then the rest of the chapter would also have to be dismissed. Because what he just said in verse 42, just like the glory of those, so is the resurrection of the dead. There is a distinction in the resurrection of the dead. We know there's a resurrection of the living and the dead. We know that there's a distinction in judgment. We know that there's going to be giving an account for your life. If you dismiss verse 41, then you can't have 42. And then it's just a domino effect. If you don't have the resurrection later on, and then you're, we're the most pitiful, Paul says. If the resurrection isn't true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. That's where it ends. I mean, basically, you dismiss verses. You know where it's going to end? It's going to end with you standing there going, God is a liar. And, you know, nobody's really willing to say that. Some of the more hardcore people are. But that, you think of that, like you, you see all of the beautiful promises of the resurrection body. And then the distinction, just verse 41, the distinction bef- between the first Adam and his fall and the last Adam. And the Bible, remember, is one unit together. It's not a bunch of little collections of different people. Put, it's one unit together. It is taken in its entirety or it's not. As we consider the grand design of God and the enormous universe he created, we're, we're at that place where Psalmist said in Psalm 8 verse 4, he says this, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? And to think that God's thoughts toward us are more than the sand of the sea, that he loves you and he cares for you. He supports and encourages you. He's concerned with you. He's interested in you, concentrated on you. And that, that's all of us. He, he loves us individually. He loves us collectively as the church. He loves our church in the collective uh, scope of the true church of Jesus Christ. Every tribe, tongue and nation around the world at this very moment. Even while you're asleep and on the other side of the world, believers are worshiping God in a different language. You're sleeping. God's thoughts are on you. Even while you're sleeping, while your brothers and sisters in another country are worshiping. It's amazing to think of the thoughts that God has toward us. When you begin to realize and acknowledge that the universe had a beginning, 
There was a time when it didn't exist. There was a beginning to things that surround your life. There were a beginning to things of how you live your life. A beginning to things that you possess, your existence, your future. The beginning connects us to the creator and our accountability to him. And because we live in a culture that gives so much time to humanism, so much time to humanistic scientific theory and evolution Darwinism, we as a church, need to, we need to come back to giving the attention that's due toward God. We need to come back to, hey, it's okay if you believe the Bible and what it says. You know, I think of some of these as I enter into this study and in other places in the Bible, like I'm not the sharpest knife in the block when it comes to this stuff. And it can be very intimidating when you're around smarter people. You know, it can be very intimidating when there are people that just live in this world and, and it's just like, wow, you know this, you know this, you know this. You know, it's like, oh man. But one of the fail-safes that I have when I'm around people that are so much smarter than me in so many different areas, one of the fail-safes I have is, well, well you know, I, I believe the Bible. I trust in the word. I, I believe that God saved me. I was there when it happened. I know. I, I just have that, it brings me back to a simple faith. Well, it's not like I'm not going to grow in this grace and knowledge. I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to study. I want to continue to add, take the milk and the meat of the word for sure. Absolutely. 100%. But I also, I appreciate the smarter, those of you that are smarter, those of you that grasp these things. I'm, you have that place, but please don't let your knowledge replace your simple faith in God. Connecting people, not to knowledge, but to God. Knowledge is the vehicle to get someone to God. It's not the end. It's not the end to gain more knowledge. The end is to gain more faith, to access, to live out in more faith, to take more steps of faith, to trust your family, to trust your, to trust your life in deeper ways by believing God at his word and living that way. Believing God at his word and living that way. Remembering our accountability. I remember in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10 as I was studying, I remember that, that passage that we studied many years ago, but it says in verse 10, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And can't you say that from the point you were born again? Can't you say that in another way that God laid the foundation of your life? He laid the foundation of your singleness, your marriage, your relationship with the church, your exercise of the gifts, your new job, your, where he wants you, where you move, where you're going to live. God laid those foundations. And it all began in the master architect in the beginning. You're not the beginning. God is the beginning. <laughs> you are not. It was in the beginning. God was there, not you. And we owe our lives to him both physically and spiritually. You need to know where you came from and why you're here. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse one, it says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Well, for many of us, the difficult days have come, but you still need to remember your maker. Trust him with your life. He's faithful in the younger days and he's faithful in the older days. Here's another thing to consider. When we remember that we have a beginning, we also need to remember at the same time we have an end. There is an end. An accountability, a day where we'll stand before our creator. Friend, listening, you need to be prepared to meet your maker. 
to have your house in order spiritually. You want to meet your maker by faith in Jesus Christ. You do not want to meet your maker rejecting Jesus, dying in your sins. You don't want to meet your maker having lived a life saying, oh, I'll take my chances. I don't believe. It's all mythology, fables, uh, blind faith. Oh, you know, you have God because you need him. I don't really need him. And all the lessons and learns, you know, I'm so much smarter. If you only knew what I knew, you wouldn't believe in this simple. All the things, no, you need to be ready to meet your maker. In Isaiah 51, 13, it says, and you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of your oppressor when he is prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? There was a time where they, the children of Israel forgot their maker. You don't want to forget your maker. Let's end here. Would you turn over to Revelation chapter 20? Revelation chapter 20. So we go, you know, from the beginning of the Bible, almost to the very end. Revelation chapter 20. It's worth being reminded as we launch into this study of creation. Notice with me, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And we stand here as a stark warning against those of you that have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to stand before God as what's known as the great white throne judgment along with the dead of all the centuries who died apart from Christ. And it says here in Revelation that you'll be judged according to your works. And for those that would say, well, you know, I'm a good person. I've got a lot of great works. Those will be taken into account. But the ultimate work that we'll be judged for is what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? What did you do? How did you respond to the opportunity to enter into a relationship with your creator? It gives perspective to everything else. And our time in Genesis, as we go through, will just keep reminding us and reminding us and reminding us of the great care and concern that God has for you and for me and his love for you and his care for you. I mean, if you think of, if you think of creation, I know we're going to get into some of the days here in, in our next time together, but if you think in creation, God created the earth for you to inhabit and enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, it's just mind-blowing the kind of care and concern that God has for us. So Father, we pray for your spirit to take your word and make it come alive. And even as we were praying uh, for what's happening in uh, the school and the church in Comakee, we agree that Jesus, you're to be the center, the focus, 
Everything is to you and through you and from you and for you. And we ask for your forgiveness, God. That in our, you know, our humanity, we just, none of us live a perfect life. When none of us follow in a perfect way. We, none of us have perfect motives or, you know, we, we still live such an imperfect life waiting to be fully delivered from the pain and problems of sin. Our own sin, the sin of our culture, our world, the frustrations and the challenges, God, we pray for your, until we meet you face to face, we pray for your empowerment, your help, your strength, your direction, that you would truly be the center of our homes, of our families, of our workplace. Lord, forgive us in our distractions. Forgive us, God, in our selfishness. We, we talk about humanistic scientists like they're a different category of people, but how many times have we approached you very humanistically and self-centeredly? We just pray for a fresh cleansing in our lives as we seek to live out our life pleasing you we don't want to forget our maker we want to live with you at the forefront of our hearts and minds living to please you abiding in you knowing that all things are held together by your power and your strength we want to let the bible inform our beliefs not those theories and thoughts and things that we place you and eliminate you. Lord, help us to live out our lives in such a way where our light so shines in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.